Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Today's guest is Ben Weber, PhD, CEO, and co-founder of Humanize, who will be speaking on a data-driven, people-centric approach to workplace strategy. Okay. Welcome to the Workplace Learning Theater. My name is Emily Levinson, and I'm the Workplace 360 Program Manager with CBRE. As a global leader in commercial real estate services and investments, we create solutions for clients of every size, in every sector, and across every geography. Our data, insights, and solutions help you understand, anticipate, and influence the future of work. We are pleased to sponsor the Workplace Learning Theater, and now it is a pleasure to introduce Ben Weber, PhD, CEO, and co-founder of Humanize, who will be speaking to us today on data-driven, people-centric approach to workplace strategy. Over to you. All right. Thank you. Well, and thanks, everyone, for coming. Thank you. There we go. Yes. It's a great introduction, right? Um, and I guess I saw we're in the Innovation Pavilion. So the Innovation Theater of the Innovation Pavilion. So that must mean this is going to be the most innovative discussion here, I assume. Um, anyway. Um, so maybe just to quickly introduce folks to the sort of the work that I do. It's always been really interesting to me that you can go to pretty much any company in the world and ask really simple questions about how work happens that people can't answer. Right? Like, how much time does the engineering team spend with the sales team? Right? Like, nobody knows. Even how many hours people work, right? And you think about how simple those questions are, but also how critical they are. Right? And the reason that we can't answer them is we don't have data. Right? Now, we might use things like surveys or human observers, and we'll talk about this in a bit. That data is, of course, incredibly useful. Like at the same time, it's incredibly limiting, right? When we think about what we're being asked to do today, right? I think in the past, there was always this assumption that being in an office improved performance, right? Like that was just an implicit assumption. And so we would certainly be data-driven when it came to certain aspects of that decision in terms of like literally cost. But in terms of what the actual ROI of that was, we were never really asked that. Right? In terms of what does the workplace actually do? And if we're being honest, and, and this has been talked about you know, a bunch here, so I'm not going to beat it over the head, but fundamentally, the workplace is a tool to change how people work. But if you can't show how it does that, then it's unclear what the ROI actually is. Right? And I think the issue is that when you ask people on surveys, like what, what do they want to do? That does matter, right? Like we need that kind of data to understand like, if we make a certain workplace decision, are we going to lose half our workforce? Like, that does matter. At the same time, people actually don't know how they're working. And I'll give you, like, some examples. So if I, we actually ran this. So it, what we do at Humanize, is to be clear. So my company, and this spun off on PhD research, essentially what we do is hook into data that companies already have about how people work. Think email, chat, meeting data, um, but even sensor data from offices to understand really holistically how folks work. And we have data from millions and millions of people you know, at this point over years and years, so tens of billions of interactions, you know, primarily for information workers. And so you know, we look within single companies, but now we have enough data, even globally, to look at how has work changed as people move to work from home. And so I can say very precisely, like how many weak ties does an average employee have? And we could talk about how we define it. You know, that's sort of the definition we use is people you spend the equivalent of five to 15 minutes with um, in one-on-one -on -one communication in a week. Way to think about that is imagine you're in you know, one one-hour, four-person conversation with them. Again, it could be a, a meeting invite. It could be a number of emails. But that's sort of how we're defining it. All right? 
Um, but I actually know what that average is globally. I know how that changes month over month. And so, of course, you see things back in March 2020 where these metrics move more than you would, you know, in a month than you would expect them to in a 10-year period, right? They were very, very stable prior to the pandemic, and now they're very, very fluid. But it's interesting because we combine that with some survey data, and there's some, you know, a lot of folks here who've done very nice surveys on these things. You know, folks at Gensler, we've done our own surveys on stuff. And you just ask people, how many folks did you talk to um, this week or communicate with this week? Is this the same or fewer or more than the previous week? Um, how do you feel like that your communication patterns have changed in general? Like a whole bunch of questions. And people are extremely inaccurate when you ask them, like, who do, how do they work? Which is not shocking, right? It's because it's very interesting when we look at how work changed when people moved uh, to working from home. There was this rapid increase in strong ties. So these are people that you communicate with you know, an hour or more in one-on-one -on -one communication a week. There was a lot more of those, which is not shocking because you were proactively reaching out to people to, to have meetings that you knew you needed to work with. On the other hand, you saw this really significant reduction by well over 25% in weak ties. Again, these, these much more peripheral interactions. But again, so those ties are critical for milestone attainment and large projects, for innovation, for all these things. The issue is that that 26% reduction, like that's 2% that's of your week. It's so little time, right? So that you don't notice it, right? I mean, it's, again, think about it this way. Imagine if you bump into one person five minutes a week by the coffee machine, and now you're on one four-person Zoom call with them a month. Like, you're not going to feel that difference, but that that significantly changes the social structure of the organization. And so the issue is that when we're talking about, all right, well, what should our workplace strategy be like moving forward? The fundamental issue is that we, we don't have that shared reality to go on to. But how has work actually changed? Right? But again, we all have this data. So I mean, the one message I want to get across is like, if you're in a company, I mean, if you use any sort of tools today, if you use email, if you use chat, you use meeting data, right? if you have sensors in offices, the metadata from those systems is essentially a social x-ray of the organization. And so what that enables you to do is see what are those patterns? How do they change over time? And what we've consistently seen, this goes back to my PhD research. Like I originally wasn't interested in like, offices at all, honestly. I didn't think they mattered. Because I assumed that like, I can email anybody, so it, so it probably doesn't matter where you sit. But again, all you sort of at least subjectively understand that it really does matter. And it's something that's just been beating, beating us over the head in the data that you know, if you sit near people, you communicate a lot with them, which is not shocking. But then when you see people move to work from home, the rate of new tie formation is dramatically reduced. And so new employees, again, are, have much more narrow networks. Again, but you can quantitatively have these discussions. The issue is that people don't have a perspective to understand what those you know, things are. And so now when we're talking about, you know, should we move to you know, having people work three days from home? Or for this team, they should be all remote. The issue is that right now we're making all those decisions based essentially just on how we feel, if we're being honest, right? And maybe based on some employee sentiment surveys, which do matter, again. But then there's this flip side of when people say, you know, uh, one of our customers is a Fortune 100 bank, and the CEO, and this is a couple banks, so I'm not outing anybody, but the CEO has been very outspoken about the need for everyone to be back in the office every day, right? Because that's what makes people more productive. Why? Well, that's how I worked. I mean, okay, we've all probably heard this sort of story before. The issue, of course, is you have a number of employees who say, I disagree. I don't believe you. Like, I've worked from home, and I feel like I've worked fine. What? But there's nowhere to go from there, right? We're just talking about opinions. And so, really, whoever tells a more compelling story 
Like ultimately, they're the ones who are going to win. And, and of course, there's also this huge power differential there. But the issue is imagine they were able to say, well, here's actually how work changed. Here are the behaviors we're concerned about. And so we, we, our hypothesis is that if we move people into the office X days a week, it's going to change how we collaborate in this way and be able to be very specific in terms of the actual behaviors that people have. Right? So you could look at email, you could look at chat, you can look at all these things, and you could see those changes. Then reasonable people can disagree on like the margins around, oh, well, you, know, you say you think three days a week is good, but maybe two days a week could be better. The issue is that we aren't having those discussions with the shared reality of what is actually happening. But once you have that, then we can all admit that none of us know what we're doing. I mean, this is the other thing that data at least allows you to do. Well, so it's been crazy, right? People saying, and also I think there's this bigger opportunity now to just stop copying what other people are doing because no one knows what they're doing, right? Like all of us are like, oh yeah, everyone's gonna be back you know, full time in September 2021, right? Whoops. Because we don't know, right? And if we're being honest, our workplace strategies were always hypotheses. It's not to say they were bad, but we, we used to pretend that we knew that this strategy is going to improve performance. So, like, we didn't actually know that, right? It was a hypothesis. I think the opportunity now is to be honest, right? And to be able to say, well, this is our best guess. And people have demonstrated how resilient they are. We all would have probably assumed it would have taken a six-month change management exercise to move folks to remote work. But they were able to do it in two weeks. So why don't we keep using that? And be able to say, well, this quarter, we're going to try this. We're going to try this strategy. And then we're going to look at the data and we're going to see how did that actually work. And if it didn't work, you know what? We're going to try something else. But if you don't have actual behavioral data, it, again, people's perceptions don't change that quickly. It's very, very challenging. Again, it's not saying you shouldn't look at that data, but that it is only part of the puzzle. And that there is this free behavioral data that like, all of you already have that you'd be able to use to actually look at these changes. Right? And so then that also means you can be a lot more let's say targeted, in the different strategies that we have. We could say, you know, this group, it actually looks like when they've been working remotely, you know, they're actually collaborating in a way that looks strategically ideal. So we're going to keep doing that. But maybe that's going to change. I mean, I think the, we all know work will continue to change and change more rapidly than it did before. And so none of us should pretend that we're going to do a 10-year workplace strategy and that's going to work. So let's just be honest and say we're going to try it for this period of time. And then we're going to try something else when it looks like it's not working. But not wait for, like, 50% of a division to resign, right? Be able to say, we actually can tell that things aren't working appropriately, right? And I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know if this cadence of changing how we work, like, I'm not, I don't want to say that this should change every week. Like, because yes, our work does change every week, but, you know, people need to plan their lives and all these things. I do think quarterly is a reasonable cadence that we could go at. It might be played off. I might be playing played off. Okay, how much time do I have? One, it's 120. Oh, I got plenty of time. All right, just mood, mood music. Okay, it's getting everyone in the mood. I got it. All right, it's good. It's good. Um, I can't remember if talks. This is like the first talk I've given at a conference. It's, I can't remember if this used to happen. It's just okay. It's all right. Um, so I can talk some more. I actually wonder if folks have have some questions. I'd love to open it up. Yeah. Let's see if I can hear you. Okay. How? Sorry about that. Forgot about that too. That can happen. It doesn't happen as much on Zoom. It does happen on Zoom though, where you get there. So okay, it, it's yeah, it's still the same. So the question was, how do we measure productivity humanize? I, I'm like, I'm trying not to talk too much about what we do, like at my company specifically. Um, so two things. There is no universal metric for productivity. Like we all know this, right? Um, 
there are certain behaviors that are generally associated with high performance, but again, particular teams are gonna be different, all those things, right? So what behavioral data is very good at, like ideally what you do is get KPIs from different parts of the organization, from teams, from divisions, and you correlate that with the behavioral patterns from these other systems, from email, from chat, from the collaboration patterns you see, so that you can say a 10% change in week ties or 10% change in work hours relates to Y percent change in outcome. Like that's the ideal thing, right? Um, however, even without that context, just by looking at behavioral data, you can call out things that are almost certainly bad, right? So a really easy example to understand are things like manager visibility, and that's how much time does managers spend with teams, with their team, right? So. If that's 2%, I actually remember one of our customers in this one division of over 1,000 people, managers are spending 2% of their time with teams, with their team, right? So like that's almost certainly bad. Now, like a third of the time, there's some contextual reason why that's happening, right? Like, you know, the product's on fire and we had to do, you know, a whole bunch of meetings to, to fix something. But two-thirds of the time, that's not the case. It's just something that no one knew was going on. And so there's a number of metrics like that. I mean, the strongest predictors are really these network metrics around things like sort of exploration. So how much time does a team spend communicating with other teams? You look at manager visibility is a big one. Um, you also look at team cohesion, so how much interaction is there within teams as a percentage of total interaction. There's a number of things like that. But those are very general, right? Um, again, there's... I mean, decades of research in organizational network analysis in social science sort of, I mean, we, again, I'm happy to talk more about what we do at Humanize. I'm just conscious of the fact, like I don't want to just tell you what our product does, right? So there is a lot of work that, that went into that and like we do have a model on that, but I would say that there's so much research to go on that you know, even if you're not working with folks like us, like there should be some places you could start to do some pretty basic things. Interestingly though, two things you should like never look at. Never look at the amount of time people are working on these systems. That's never predictive. Um, sometimes negatively predictive. Really interesting case, I don't think I have, I, I don't have the slides on it. But one of our Asian customers at Fortune 500 technology company, they actually saw that for their enterprise sales folks, which is a couple thousand people, um, the more time they worked, the less they sold. It's actually fascinating. But the reason is it doesn't mean that like working zero hours is good. It's that everybody works like at least 40 hours, right? But basically you get, very quickly you get burned out and you're like not spending your time effectively. Anyway, so there's a ton of interesting things there. Oh, we lost the mood music. It's unfortunate. Killed the mood here. Sorry. <laughs> um, in any case, um, that's a good big one to not look at, um, as well as uh, the number of people folks uh, communicate with, like just the raw number of people like I email, is also not predictive, um, and so I wouldn't look at that. Um, lots of other things do matter. Yeah, in the back. Right, so and I think I heard like 95% of that, so let me try to repeat it back. So people were you know, forced to work from home, and now some people are being forced to come back in the office, and that these things also sort of, I, I guess they're different than when people like can choose where they wanna work, like it is different. And it is interesting because what you would have assumed would happen from, uh, in terms of how people collaborate from meta-analyses on data pre-pandemic is different than what happened. 
right? Like, in particular, I was very interested in this increase in uh, strong ties. Like, actually, if you looked at uh, papers from pre-pandemic, you would have assumed that wouldn't happen. Um, but I think there was you know, something about everyone doing it at the same time about it, um, again, being just you know, a very extraordinary situation, I think that probably likely changed that. Um, you know, at the same time, then with people getting forced back in the office, again, I don't want to pretend that behavioral data is the be all and end all. Right? You should look at employee preferences. Like, you should absolutely do that. You know, but I wouldn't just make decisions based on that because we're talking about trying to mediate these decisions with the impact on the team, on the organization. The issue is I feel like the vast majority of organizations are not actually looking at those metrics, right? They're just, it's just subjectively, I feel like this is what we need, right? If you look at, I mean, I know folks at some of these companies who like literally will say, well, we come, we're gonna come into the office three days a week because we feel like that's a good medium. That, that's a terrible justification, right? Like, what does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything. Like, you're basing that decision, if we're just being honest, on your N of one personal experience. And the experience of a couple of executives during the pandemic, like, that is not necessarily representative of the whole populace. Like, it might be. It's possible, right? But it's much better to say, and then again, and then you get lots of people who disagree with those decisions. And it's not to say, with any decision you make, everyone isn't going to be happy. Like, we know this, right? So, like, that's not even what I'm saying here. It's that given that, there's some medium where it's like, okay, I know that if I make a decision like this, I'm going to lose way too many people. But I want to understand for the different classes of decisions I can make, how will that likely change how people work? And I do think that, sort of just personally, I don't like this idea of pure, of do whatever you want. I feel like that's also abdicating responsibility because people don't actually know how their decisions will impact other people. Because you can't, you just don't have that visibility, right? Like it might be better for me to be in the office today because it would improve the collaboration within my team, but I won't know that, like that is impossible. And so in my view, it's the responsibility of the organization to set those expectations. Because again, we did have flexible work pre-pandemic, right? It was just called manager discretion. And I really like where we're going though, where it's being much more methodical. I actually think that's very, very healthy. But I think the other part of it that should be healthy is hopefully not just copying what everyone else is doing, right? Because again, no one, no one knows what they're doing. And pre-pandemic, we had this weird preoccupation with copying this strategy of sudden successful company. Like a lot of tech companies are being copied, right? Um, which is unclear if their workplace strategy was why they were successful, right? Like just, I'm gonna you know, use an example. Like I, I know a bunch of the folks at Amazon, so I don't think I'm ticking any of them off, right? But Amazon could, for the next like five years, lock their employees in broom closets. And because of their dominant market position, they would still be effective. That doesn't mean that you should do that, right? Like that will eventually come back to bite them if they do it. But that, you know, I think that we, we should really just think much more broadly about like, well, what actually in our organization drives the behaviors that we want? And again, the workplace is a tool. Fundamentally, it is a tool to change how people work. That's it. That is all it is. So if we think about it in that way, is a tool, think about it a different way. All right, manager one-on-ones with employees. Should you have one-on-ones with your employees every day, every week, every month, every quarter? What should it be? Well, it depends, right? It depends on your team. It depends on the culture of the company, all these things. We know this. Like we know the same management tool is not appropriate to all teams, all organizations at all time. But we treat the workplace like that. Like it's actually crazy. I think the opportunity with behavioral data in particular is to really distinguish what we're actually trying to get. Like what does the workplace actually do? 
What are the behaviors that exist? And then what is the impact on different teams? And then being a lot more methodical about this. Like, I think it's a really exciting time. But again, I think that if we can't do it now, like this is the thing, right? We're at this critical point. If we can't change how we manage workplace now, there's no way you're gonna be able to do it in five years, right? Because like, I mean, people have said we're gonna have other pandemics. This is a once in a hundred year thing, right? Like take that opportunity to, to change how these decisions are made. And I think that like organizations are open to it, right? Increasingly, all of us are being asked, what is the ROI of these things? Like we have so, there's such a chance here to be able to use this data we already have to drive these decisions and to really much more rapidly improve how we work. So that's, I, I know we're out of time. That's what I wanted to leave with, but thanks everyone for coming. I really appreciate it. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org content to submit your idea.